right. Well, happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Uh, for those of you who may not know a lot about what Palm Sunday means, it's the week before Jesus rose from the dead. So next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating Resurrection Day. So we're pretty excited about that. The week before, Jesus is coming in, and everybody thinks he's going to be this guy that's going to deliver them from Rome. Like, here he is, he's going to come, he's going to take charge, he's going to set up his, his authority, his, his governance, he will be the new Caesar, uh, he will be over everything, and the next time he comes, that will be the case. He will come that way, the second coming, but this time he was coming as a servant king. It was a completely different thing, and so within a few days, as Adam alluded to earlier, they turned on him, and all of a sudden he was being crucified. However, Jesus has given us new life, as we'll talk about even more next Sunday. He went from being this guy that was exalted to all of a sudden crucified, and it was all in God's plan. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like Jesus was like, oh, wow, I really thought they were going to put me here. He knew, and he taught his disciples the whole time. At least three times we've seen the Gospels, he said he was going to die on the cross. However, today we're going to be st staying in the book of Colossians, and it the amazing thing about Scripture is it all, it all intertwines. It's all about Jesus Christ. And so you can take any Scripture and you can take it to the cross. And today we're going to learn about the effects of the cross. We're going to learn about how we are chosen, changed, and charged because of what Jesus did on the cross. So join me as we turn to Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is another tough scripture, uh, some, some things that are just really hard practically to play out in our lives. Um, I think we all could, could look at that list and say, wow, we don't always do real well at that. Uh, but God, I just pray that you help us to understand your scripture here. You help us to understand that we are chosen, um, to, to, to understand that we are changed by your Holy Spirit and that we are charged to be forgiving and to go throughout this life exalting you, God. We thank you. We praise you for the opportunity to come here, Lord. I thank you for the children that are here. I pray for their parents that, that they just relax and, en and enjoy the service too. Uh, we love hearing kids, and, uh, and, and, and God, we just thank you for them. Uh, we we, we want to welcome all uh, to our, our service today, from, from newborn to uh, almost going home, uh, wherever we're at, Lord. I just pray that, that we are a church that exalts you, makes much of you, and glorifies you. We love you, Lord. Amen. So today we are going to discuss three important realities for believers in Jesus Christ. The first one here is believers in Christ are chosen. Believers in Christ are chosen. And we're going to kind of be splitting up verse 12 here. So this is kind of the middle here, and it's going to say, uh, we see, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. God's chosen ones, that, that's quite a statement, right? This speaks of God's election uh, of his people. In fact, the word election in a doctrinal state actually just literally means God's chosen once. Like, that would actually be the definition. And I understand that God's sovereign election can be kind of a, a hard thing in the church, right? There's churches that divide over this election deal. Uh, they're like, 
oh man, you know, I don't like that word. Well, it's in the Bible, so you can't say you don't like the word. Uh, Predestination's in the Bible. We can't just be like, oh, we're going to dismiss that and ignore those scriptures. And I think one of our biggest issues of dealing with this understanding of God's election, that we are God's chosen people, which is really good news. It's not bad news. It's really good news that we are God's chosen people. But I think one of the issues is it's oftentimes dealt with in a non-expansive biblical way. We take certain scriptures and we teach them very strongly without really bringing the whole of scripture and understanding the whole counsel of scripture on this issue. So I pray that as we go through this, that we kind of understand it in a, in a true and expansive way, that we understand that, that yes, absolutely, we are God's chosen people, that we are elect. We're not going to explain that away, but that we also understand what the Bible teaches about human responsibility and man's responsibility as we respond to that. So at Crosspoint, we want to take a very strong, and we do take a very strong stance on God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. He is over everything. He is omnipotent, you'll see in your handout. He is all-powerful. That means there's nothing more powerful than God. He is omnipresent. That means that he's not only everywhere at once, he's every time at once. He's not limited by anything, time, or space. And he's also omniscient, meaning he is all-knowing. There is nothing from the beginning to the end that he does not no, and he does he not he, that he does not know intimately. So we never want to minimize the power of God as we teach salvation, as we teach election, as we teach predestination. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He is God, and we exalt him. Yet here at Crosspoint, we also take a strong stance that man has responsibility. Yes, God is fully sovereign, and he is in complete control, but we also see that, God, that man has a responsibility to respond to God's drawing. So we're going to go through just a few scriptures here real quick to help us understand how salvation occurs. Sometimes these, these seem like more elementary things, but they're actually pretty deep. Uh, and, and a lot of times these are things that the churches divide on, and a lot of times it's because people maybe take, take an extreme view. They don't they ignore parts of scripture. They exalt certain parts of scripture, or they just don't understand where the other person's coming from, and so they, they divide because they just don't get how people are wording things. And so we're just going to word this through the scripture, and we're just going to let Jesus talk here. Uh, and so we see in John six forty four, the Bible says that Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So we see that no, none of us can come to God unless he draws us. But we see also, if we move forward in the book of John, John twelve thirty two, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw what? All people. To myself. Now, I think we could all understand that obviously he doesn't draw all people at all times. But God says, hey, I'm going to draw all people to myself through Jesus Christ. Moving forward, though, we see that it is clear that no one seeks after God. So this whole seeker-sensitive movement of the church is garbage because no one's seeking God. We see in Romans 3 that actually it says, no one understands, no one seeks God. So there's no one out there that is looking for God. No, they may be drawn by God, and so they are responding to God as, as, they, as he draws them, but no one is actually seeking after God. We have no good to do that without God drawing us. So we see that those who are open to the gospel are the ones that God is drawing at the time. So what are we to do with this exposition? How, how are we to understand our job? Right? So, as Christians, to share the gospel, well, I think it really gives us a lot of freedom. And the reason we have freedom is as we share the gospel with our neighbors, with our coworkers, 
they're not going to come unless God is drawing them and unless they humble themselves before, before him, right? So we need, we, have, we need to have both of those happen. And you know, what that, you, know, you know who that doesn't involve? You. Your only job is to spread the gospel, to preach the gospel, to tell people about Jesus, that he died on the cross for, for their sins and your sins, that he rose from the dead, that three days, you know, three days later, as we're going to talk about next Sunday, right? And that with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, they can have eternal life. That's your job. After that, God does the work. God is doing the work. They have to humble themselves, and God has to be drawing them, or it's going to fall on deaf ears, right? And we, we see that a lot in Scripture, that, that the Gospels preach to some people, and they become believers. They've got the same Gospels preached to other people, and they don't. They harden their hearts. So how are we to understand these, 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 this God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? How does it play out in our understanding of Scripture? And I would rejoice in the fact that we're never really going to understand that completely. And I'll, I know a lot of theologians, they really struggle with that, with that statement, that humble statement that says, hey, I believe God is fully sovereign. I believe that he saves who he saves, people that don't get saved. You know, I, I get it. God knows everything. And that's a hard thing to swallow. But I also know that man has responsibility, and we all are given that opportunity to accept the truth or reject the truth, right? And so we have our responsibility. And how that plays out I don't think any of us in our right minds could say we can understand the mind of God, right? We see tons of scripture. Who can understand the mind of God? I think a lot of times we get prideful and think we can, and we come up with theologies that kind of exalt certain scriptures, push down other ones, and then we think that we can do that, right? Because we also see that he takes no delight in the death of the wicked. So it's like he doesn't really enjoy that. It's a strange work, as we mentioned a few weeks ago. But yet he also is fully sovereign, and nothing takes away from his omniscience and omnipotence. I think in the, in, uh, we see this in, in that same Romans 3 area. We see that no one's seeking him, and we also see that no one is even good. You know, so no one's good. No one's doing what's right. And so why does God choose us if we're not good and we're not seeking him? So, so what is it about us? Are we special? Are, you know, is, is Kevin just that awesome that God just said, I'm taking that guy? It's the beard probably. You know, it, it, that, you know is, is that what it is? Is it something inherently good in Kevin? Well, the Bible says no. We, none of us have anything good in us. You know, you know when, we, when we look at people, what is it that God does? And we can kind of see a little glimpse into his mind as we get into to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. We see God talking to Moses here. It was not because you were more in number than any other people of the, the Lord. Uh, so this is Israel, by the way. Uh, than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, and the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God lets Moses know that Israel's just not this amazing group of people, right? If you read the Old Testament, you realize they're not very amazing at all. They, they do well, and boom, they do well, and boom. It's like, a, it's like this wave as, as you watch, just ups and downs. looks like the stock market, you know, just except they don't seem to move up <laughs> ever. Like, they just kind of keep going down, it seems like. So it wasn't because they had these promising qualities, that these were just special people, and God, you know, was just so... Why was it? It's because he loved them. And it's because he chose them for his glory. And that's what he does for us. He loves us, and he chooses us to glorify him. How, how amazing is that? And so we may not understand why he chose us, we do, but we do, we do understand it's not because we're naturally good. We, we do understand that it's because of him and his love, not because of us and our potential. And the beauty of that understanding, that we realize that we are chosen not based on merit, 
not based on innate goodness, not based on anything like that, is that we couldn't earn salvation and we can't maintain salvation. God does both. God chooses us, he seals us, and he maintains us. He seals us with his Holy Spirit and as believers in Christ, you are chosen. And he, he chooses to put his Holy Spirit inside of you to seal you and to work in you and on you and through you. How amazing is that? We may not understand why or how it works or any of the huge nuances of God's mind and how he, how he works, but we do understand that if we are in Christ, we are chosen. We are holy and beloved, set apart for him. How amazing is that? And praise God, he doesn't just leave us as chosen and not continue to work on us and through us, right? So next we see believers in Christ are changed. We're going to kind of go at the beginning of 12 and the end here. Put on then... What? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So put on them. This is exactly opposite fashion of the, the ideas we had. I kind of talked about the old clothes we need to put off. You know, the, we, we showed a nice picture of Zane with all of his dirt all over him. Those old clothes, those worn-out clothes that just need to be put off. I'm not even sure we were able to salvage those. I don't know, Lauren. Uh, it, it would probably need a pressure washer or something. So we need to put off these old things, these old sinful things. But here's the thing, if, if, we, if we put off something, we need to be putting something back on. We see this in addiction medicine, addiction, you know, just in general, that, that if you give up something, you have to replace it with something else or it's going to come back. Or maybe something worse is going to come back. We see Jesus talk about when he casts demons out, what happens if nothing good comes in afterwards? Well, it says seven just like it, maybe even worse, are going to come and inhabit that same person. So after we put off the, the old stuff, we put to death the sinful stuff, we have to put on what is righteous, and this comes through the Holy Spirit. So Paul gives us another, yet another list here, and these aren't things to take off, these are things we need to put on. And the first one is put on compassionate hearts. Put on compassionate hearts. We see this also described as tender mercies. So compassion hearts, tender mercies. We are to be kind-hearted and sympathetic to others. Those who are compassionate, have compassionate hearts, are ready and willing to share what they have with others. Uh, they, they, they assume the best for others, and they have a concern and, and a ready and willing hand to help those who are struggling and who are around. Next, we see that we are put to put on kindness, to put on kindness. And a similar, kindness is really similar to compassion, where compassion would be maybe the action of kindness, doing kind things for the people. Uh, kindness may be better described as the affect or disposition toward others. You know, when you think of somebody who is kind, it's somebody who has a friendly affect, a friendly disposition, somebody that smiles at you, that, that, that you can tell is not going to try to harm you. Uh, we, we see that, 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 that idea of kindness. And God is referred to as kind in Luke 6.35. It says, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Wow, that's a, that's a tough scripture. He's kind pretty much to us is what he's saying, like, to, to us before we're saved even. And we see, like, we see God's kindness through salvation. Romans 5.10, for if while we were, what? Enemies. That's a hard word, isn't it? Enemies. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. While we were enemies, he died for us. We don't hear a lot of messages preached to unbelievers saying, 
you're an enemy of God. And actually, when we say that, people balk at that, they scoff at that, and be like, that's not nice. That's, that's really, really bad to say things like that to people. It's, but the Bible teaches that when we are not in Christ, we are of Satan. We may not actively worship Satan. We may not have, you know, cultic stuff in our house or be doing witchcraft. Or doing, we may not be inactive, but we have his heart. And what is the heart of Satan? It's in rebellion to God. It says, I am God. You're not. I'm not going to submit to your authority. So when we are not in Christ, when we've not submitted our life to Christ, well, we're, we're, we're on Satan's team. We're, we're, we're in the same boat as he is, right? Yet while we were enemies of Christ, while we were of our father, the devil, right, as, as we worshiped as he worships, which is himself, as we were there, he died for us. While we were enemies, he died for us. Now, we can see that just gruesomely played out in the, 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 the crucifixion, right? His enemies literally crucify him. And Father, forgive them, for they, not, they know not what they do. He, he knows that he's dying for the people that are crucifying him, that if those people would humble themselves, even the people that put nails in his wrists would humble themselves, they could have salvation still. Even Judas, there was a chance, but he didn't. But, but he had a chance. He could have even repented. Right? We, we all have the opportunity to repent and turn, even, even when we are enemies of Christ. And I pray that we, we see in the scriptures, too, that his kindness leads us to repentance. So we, when we realize that his kindness goes beyond our sinfulness, our innate just pride and everything we want to do, how amazing is that? that? That draws us to him through his spirit, through, through his kindness. And I pray that you realize just even if you are an enemy of God, if you are, in, you are not in Christ, that, that you respond to his loving kindness. He was willing to die for you even when you were his enemy. I pray that you do that today, that you humble yourself. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. May we repent and turn away from our sins if we are not in Christ. Third, we are to put on humility. To put on humility. Humility is probably the highest of Christian virtues. If you're going to rank them, this is probably up there as pretty close to number one, if not number one. Salvation of man required humility, right? So Jesus had to humble himself to obedience, even death on the cross, as Philippians 2.8 tells us. And that humility, humility is required for us to be saved, because we, as we are drawn by God, must be willing to humble ourselves before Christ and say, not my will, but your will be done. This isn't my life, it's your life. May you take, take it, may, may, may it be all about you. Humility is a big deal. It costs you your life. It costs you your old life. We talked about your old self. It, w- it will need to be crucified, and the new self will be given to you by Jesus Christ. Your old ways will be put off and, and put to death through the power of Christ, and your, these new ways we're talking about now, which aren't real popular in our society, will be what is put on. Humility, kindness, compassion. This humility should continue to express itself in the life of a believer. And the believer should not think poorly of themselves. This isn't a self-deprecating, woe is me, I know I'm off. It, it's not that because this is false humility. You know, you meet people that just always, you know, just down themselves. Not, not in a humble way in a, yeah, I know that I'm not a perfect, right? And, and I mean, I think we need to have an understanding that, that we are sinners, that, that, that we do struggle, that we do make tons of errors and mistakes that we sin every day. We need to have a sober-minded view of ourselves. But there's a difference between having a sober-minded view of yourself and being self-deprecating, always saying, me, 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 I'm bad, I'm this, I'm that. Because what is that? It's self-focused. Now all of a sudden, it's all about us. 
and it looks like humility. And this is what we were talking about with, with the Gnostics. And, and they were talking about how the, the whole self is bad and it's evil and the body just is just all bad. You can't be used for any good, even though the scripture says that God uses our body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. But they're saying, oh, it's all bad. So then they're like, hey, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die anyway. Your body's already bad. Go do whatever you want to. So we have to watch this, this self-deprecation to where we become self-focused. A believer should express humility in thinking about God first and others second. And here's this, this quote that I came up with. Humility is the opposite of pride. Pride seeks to build one's own kingdom. Humility seeks to build the kingdom of God. All right, so humility is the opposite of pride. Pride seeks to build one's own kingdom. Humility seeks to build the kingdom of God. Number four, put on meekness. Uh, meekness is the same as gentleness. Uh, sometimes words like this kind of get a bad rap in the church, especially with men. You know, meekness, gentleness, you know. I think a lot of us may side with the legendary coach Bobby Knight, not endorsing him. But he, he, he said this of Matthew 5, uh, when Jesus is teaching in his Beatitudes, he said this to his players, the meek may well inherit the earth, but they rarely get rebounds. He was a basketball coach, in case you're wondering. So the meek may well inherit the earth, but they rarely get rebounds. It's kind of saying, we're not going to be gentle. We're not going to be meek. We're going to be aggressive, right? And many men see meekness and gentleness as weakness and even laziness. It's like, ah, you know, why, you know we don't, I don't like this. Yet the Bible is clear that Jesus was meek. And we see in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, right? So there is that word gentle. And this word gentle is actually the adjective form of this exact same word in, in Colossians three twelve, t- translated as meekness. So if we don't like meekness, we say we don't like something about Jesus, and that's, frankly, sinful. That would be awful. We wouldn't say, well, we don't like this about you, Jesus. That, that's probably not where you want to go. So I think being gentle and meek takes a tougher and bigger man. I'm, I'm a decent-sized guy. I think most of y'all would agree. And the more cupcakes I eat here in a minute, I might be even a bigger guy, uh, thanks, thanks to Maryland. Um, but uh, when, I, when I played sports, a lot of times people would push my buttons. And I think anybody that's played sports, people will try to push your buttons. You know, they just really try to. And usually the person that pushes your buttons the most is the smallest guy on the court. And, and I mean, like, and they're just mess. Would it be a big, would it make me a larger man, take somebody half my size and beat him to a pulp? I, I think most of us would say, no, that, that didn't take a real tough guy, right? Like, like that doesn't make you a, a stronger man. It takes much more strength to restrain yourself, right? And to continue to be meek and gentle even when your flesh wants to pummel the person, right? So I, am, I'm, and I want, want you to know when we talk about meekness and gentleness, we're, we're no, in no way talking about being a pacifist. Uh, you know, there are times where we do need to fight for our families. There are times where we need to fight for our country. And the Bible is clear that there are times where we do need to step up in that way. However, the majority of our time, we should be known as meek and gentle. We should follow after our Savior's leading. And finally, we are to put on patience. Uh, Chris Williams asked me for a difficult prayer request last week after church. We're standing there talking, and he, he looks at me, and he says, patience. So I questioned him on whether he really wanted me to pray for that. And you're like, yeah, I've been there. So why, why, did, I, why did I question him of whether I really wanted, or I, he really wanted me to pray for that? It's because we only know if we have patience of what? It's being tested, right? So the only way we know that we're growing in patience is if there's something in our life that makes us utilize that spiritual gift of patience. So uh, that's that spiritual fruit. 
And I, I will say he graciously maintained his request. I, I was proud of him. It might have been because he was in church and he felt like he probably couldn't renege on that one. But, but, but I was really proud of him there. And I think patience is probably the most difficult thing to put on that's on this list. I think there's a reason why Paul put it last. It was like, you know, I, you know we've been talking about this whole like clothes analogy and how that's the direct metaphor of the put on and put off. And when I think of, of patience, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of skinny jeans and I feel, like, I feel like patience is like the skinny jeans part of the put on. And, and they're just really hard, and you got to go, oh, you know, you're, you're just working really, really hard, and then you bend over, and you, you're like big as me. You'd probably break the, the seat out. You know, it's the kind where, you know, it's just, it's hard. Patience is probably the toughest of the virtues that we see given here. And I, you all don't have to worry. I'm not, I'm not, I know hipster pastors these days are doing that, but there's not enough denim to get me to, to get to get it. I'll, I'll break it. We, we won't do that to you. So I'm not going to try to squeeze into that. I digress. Sorry. Uh, the, 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 word, the word translated patience here actually means long-suffering. I like that word. Long-suffering or long-tempered. It's the opposite of somebody that you call a short fuse. You know, yeah, that guy's got a short fuse. It just takes one thing and poof, he blows up. Well, patience is long-suffering. It's actually having a really long fuse. It's meaning, hey, it takes a lot to get that guy to, to blow up. Like he's able to handle a lot. William Barclay in his commentary on Colossians said this, This is the spirit which never loses its patience, patience with its fellow men. Their foolishness and their unteachability never drive it to cynicism or despair. Their insults and their ill treatment never drive it to bitterness or wrath. Parents are saying amen. Uh, when others are foolish and not teachable, uh, and some kids are thinking that too about our parents at times, when, when we're foolish and not teachable, or when others hurl insults or treat people poorly, it's hard to be patient, right? When somebody is kind of being a jerk, it's really hard to be patient with them. I think we could all amen that. And there's a reason why, along with patience and kindness and gentleness, they're called fruits of the what? The Spirit. Why are they called fruits of the Spirit and not fruits of the flesh? Because we naturally can't do it. Like, we can't be any of these things through our own work. We might be able to do it for a minute, but after a while, that fuse, it's going to blow, right? And so, there's a reason why it's listed in Galatians 5, 22 through 23 as a fruit of the Spirit, because without the Holy Spirit, we can't bear fruit like this. And this is kind of that summary of the, the second point of the sermon. Believers in Christ are changed. They're not changed by their own works. They're changed by the work of the Holy Spirit and one who is born again, given the Holy Spirit, who chooses to indwell you and, and to allow you to put on these Christian virtues. And it's only by the power of God that any of us can do it. Number three, finally, believers in Christ are charged. Let's read verse 13 together. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I love this phrase, bearing with one another. It literally means enduring or putting up with somebody else. Putting up. And I love that it comes right after patience. Don't you love how that, you got this list and you got patience and then bearing with one another. Paul, Paul's got a little sense of humor as he changes this verse. It's like, you've got to put these things on because you've got to put up with people. And people are what? They're sinners, just like you are. And when you put a bunch of sinners and a fellowship called a church, what's going to happen? Somebody's going to sin against each other. So you're going to have to be able to bear with one another. You're going to have to be able to put up with one another. That's just part of life. Uh, you know, in a family, we do that. In a church family, see, when you're, when you're in a fa nuclear family, when you're in a, a family of, you know, mom, dad, you know, kids, that kind of thing, you can't just leave. Like, you can't just be like, see you later. You know, I'm out of here. You know, like, 
you shouldn't just leave, I guess, maybe I should say. But most of the time, you know, if, you leave, if both parents leave the kids, CPS is going to come, you're going to go to jail. Uh, you, you can't just leave and say, all right, kids, we're not getting along real well. It's not working out. I'll see you later. You know, I, I think that's frowned upon in our society, at least. Some societies, maybe not. But here's, but in, in church, we can just leave. I'm going to go down the one, go down there. Go that Here's what you're going to find. Those people are maybe even worse than the people you're with before. You know, because we're all sinners, and we're called to bear with one another. Now, with those sins, we don't just brush them under the rug and say, well, it's okay, we're all sinners. I know, we're just going to brush. Actually, the Bible says we've got to deal with stuff. We've got to bear with one another, but we also have to forgive one another. And that comes with following the biblical grounds for dealing with sin. And that, com- that comes with following what Jesus said to go to that person humbly. And then if they don't, then take somebody else with you, and then so forth. You know, maybe even it comes in front of the church if it's a huge sin that's public, right? So, so we need to be sure to, to follow Christ in that. But we are admonished to forgive each other. And we come to this first time. I, I'm going to give you just five points here. This could be taught for a long, long time, but our time does not allow us to go through forgiveness in its depth. But we're going to kind of give five huge points that I think we need to know about forgiveness to understand it a little better. Number one, forgiveness is a mandated command. We see here in Colossians 3.13, it says we're commanded to, to, we're mandated to forgive one another. Why? Because Christ forgave you. It, it, it's not, there's no, this is a direct command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, oh, you probably should. No, it's, you have to. Like, this is a, a, a mandated command. Number two, forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Somebody just kind of thought about Jeremiah 31, 34, and, and they're like, pastor, I'm going to have to have some church discipline with you after this service because you just said something that doesn't sound like it's right. Because here's what Jeremiah 31, 34 says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sins, what? No more. So why can I say forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting? And also, I'll, I'll, I'll even put one more stack against me here. Psalm 103, 12 says that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on the guy named Stam Storms. I've, I've uh, quoted him a couple of times. Really good commentary. I would suggest going through it, 100 Days Through Colossians. It's kind of a devotional commentary, which is a neat, neat idea. He says this, The language of the prophet is a metaphor, a word picture designed to emphasize God's gracious determination and resolve not to hold us liable for our sin. He has canceled the debt and will never demand payment. If God could liter- literally forget, it would, it would undermine the truth of his omniscience, all-knowing. Remember, we talked about that before. God always has and always will know all things, but he has promised never to use our sin against us or treat us as if the reality of our sin were present in his, minds, or in his mind. So, so here's the thing. God chooses not to hold our sin against us. He doesn't bring it up. He says, remember that time, Lee, when you did this? Remember that time, Jade? Remember that time? He, do, he doesn't go around doing that. He does, when we have repented of our sins, Christ's blood has covered them. He doesn't do that. And in the same way, that's how we have to deal with sin. We're not going to forget what somebody does to us a lot of times. Sometimes we will. If you're a guy, we're, we're a little better at forgetting. Uh, I think sometimes because we just, we're simple like that. But, but you know, I, I think most of the time, if we really think, oh, yeah, I remember. You know, I remember that time he did that to me or she did that to me. Or I remember that time they said that to me. If you really spend some time, we may not be able to forget things completely. But we can treat people like we have. We can move forward and say, I'm not going to hold this sin against you. And this is so important in marriage. Because here's the thing. Remember that time I talked about like the, the church having to put up with one another? <laughs> marriage. 
you're putting up with one another. That's part of it. Now, she has to put up a lot more than I have to put up with. We won't talk about that. But, but we have, here's the thing. We're going to sin against each other in marriage relationships and even with children. We're going to sin against our children. Our children are going to sin against us. And are we going to continue to treat those people in those intimate relationships, uh, either spouse or child or mom or dad or aunt or uncle or whatever we're looking at, or even good friends, are we going to continually bring that back up? We can't. Uh, we, we, we must act as if we have forgotten, not trying to put on a face or trying to do something right, but when there has been reconciliation, there has been forgiveness, and there has been, you know, and, and that relationship has been restored. We're going to talk about that on the next point a little bit, how that works. Then we need to be merciful and treat them like Christ treats us. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? <laughs> you're, you're, you, you just made it in, but I'm going to tell you every day, you barely. I mean, you were the last one. If I, I had this list of people that made it to heaven, you were, not, you were the last one, number whatever. You know, here, here you go. I'll, I was going to make a Jehovah's Witness joke. You're at number 144,000, but I'll, 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 I'll leave, that, leave that off too. I'm getting myself in all kinds of trouble today. All right, and, and number three, forgiveness doesn't always mean restoration of a similar relationship. Sometimes when we forgive, we have to forgive. The other person isn't repentant, and that is a hard, hard road. When somebody is still being a jerk to you, and you have to forgive them, and they're just like, see you later, I don't even want that. And they just walk away, and there's no way to be able to, re- to reconcile. You try to go to them. You've tried to follow the ways that Matthew 18, 15 through 20 that we talked about, Jesus saying, go to them, take somebody else. You, you've tried your best, and they just refuse, refuse to reconcile, refuse to say that they did anything wrong. You still got, you still got to forgive them, and that is hard. But that forgiveness doesn't always mean there's a restoration in that relationship. That forgiveness means that you have done what you, you've been called to do, which if you've been the one sinned against, it's, it's on you, which is a really difficult teaching too. Jesus doesn't say the person who sins against the person goes to the person. Now, we should as believers. If we sin against somebody, that is a great way to do it. But Jesus actually tells the person who was sinned against to go to the person who sinned against them and say, hey, this is what happened in a humble way. I know I'm a sinner. I know I make mistakes. I know I do tons of bad stuff. But here's kind of what happened. And this is how you sinned against me. And this is how I felt. This is, you know, I'd really like to see us kind of reconcile. You know, um, you know I'd like to see forgiveness. Uh, I'd like to be able, I want to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. But I'd like to see a reconciliation and a repentance from you. That's hard. It's, it's very tough. It's kind of on us if we're sinned against, which we're like, well, that's not fair. But that's what Jesus said. You can talk to him about it. it, it it's a hard, hard situation. But here's the thing. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And, and sometimes they refuse and there cannot be reconciliation. And sometimes there is, but it's such a huge, life-altering sin. I hesitate to say it's a worse sin. You know, we know all sin leads to death, but there are sins that have a lot more consequences, sins that are more heinous, more evil, uh, you know. And there's certain times where, although reconciliation and restoration can happen, it may not be the same relationship anymore. Uh, there, there may be some boundaries, some guardrails that need to be set, at least for a time, Hopefully you can move toward that complete restoration. But there may be a safety issue here, uh, something you've got to set these, these boundaries, and there needs to be some time for healing. Because just because you forgive doesn't mean that you're all the way healed yet, and there needs to be some counsel, needs to be some growth. And I want to make sure we don't just see you forgive, let it go, and everything is completely normal. Sometimes there's consequences to those big decisions, and there needs to be some time before complete restoration can happen. And there's going to be some times where complete restoration cannot happen in the same way, a restoration of that relationship. It may look different from then on, but there needs to not be any animosity. There needs to be mercy. There needs to be grace and love shown. 
Number four, forgiveness withheld is a two-way street. This is probably the hardest verse, one of the hardest verses that I've, I've mentioned here lately. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's from Jesus. says it verbatim. He says, you don't forgive other people, you ain't being forgiven. That is a very tough word that Jesus brings out. Because here's the thing, we, we like to be able to hold things over people's head and be like, hey, remember that time that he did this? Yeah, you know, I'm, it's bad. You know, so Jesus is saying, I'm not doing that to you. So you aren't to do that to others. And here's the heart of this matter. It's not even about the other person. This, this issue of moving on, forgiving, and, and, and having restoration, having complete forgiveness, uh, moving past it, isn't even about the sin that that person did, the, the issue in your relationship. The issue is Jesus. The issue is you don't realize that you are a horrible sinner deserving death. When you don't forgive other people, you're not agreeing with Jesus as he talks about in Luke 7, 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he was forgiven, little loves little. What he's saying is that if you are qu- slow to forgive, slow to love others, what that shows is that you don't realize how much I love you and how horrible that you were, that how bad of an enemy you were of mine when I died for you. And so you don't realize your depravity, your sinfulness, and so you think that you're good. So when you look at the other person, you think that they're bad. Instead of seeing you both as bad, you're both bad. And, and until you see I'm bad and they're bad, and we both, ba- we, you know, we both have made bad decisions, we both are horrible people, we both deserve death, we both deserve hell, but God has died for us. You know, Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. Through that, we are able to do that. So an unforgiving heart is a sign that you're not saved. It's a tough word, too. It, it, Jesus says you're not saved if you are an unforgiving person. You may not very well be saved because here's the thing. You don't understand forgiveness. And if you, don't, if you haven't experienced forgiveness, if you haven't humbled yourself and saw yourself as God sees you before you were saved as an enemy of his, that he died for you and that you needed his crucifixion, his resurrection in order to be saved, then you, don't really, you haven't been able to really repent because you haven't admitted that you were a sinner, Right? I love the ABCs. A, admit to God that you're a sinner and repent. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then C, confess your faith in Jesus, our Savior and Lord, right? You have to admit you're a sinner, and until you do that, you can't be saved, right? I think that's so important. Five, and finally, forgiveness always means freedom. We are obedient to, to Christ by forgiving others. And it frees us from the bitterness and the pangs of unforgiveness, that, they, that, that those chains that kind of go around you bring. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 is very similar to what we've been talking about. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Very similar in Colossians 3 that we, 3 that we just went through a couple of weeks ago. He uses this word bitterness. And I think, you know, bitterness robs a person of joy in their life. And so forgiveness Yes, it's number one, it's important because we need to forgive because Christ forgave us. We need to forgive because it's a sign that we are saved, that we are sealed, that we are chosen. But we also need to forgive because it takes the bonds that that person has over you and breaks them. It is so important to forgive others because if not, I, I've heard the old saying, if not forgiving somebody else is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I've heard that many times, and it's so true. It's like, you know, you think that you're getting back at them, but you're the one staying up at night angry at that person. You're the one saying, they're sleeping just fine most of the time. They don't really care. They're like, whatever, you know. Uh, and so we, we, we let Satan steal our joy in that. 
We talk, as we talked about, I think, even last week, you know, not to let the sun go down in our anger. We need to deal with things, approach people as quickly as we can. We as believers in Christ are charged to forgive others. As we come to a close, I, play, I pray that you remember that if you are in Christ, you are chosen. It's such a wonderful blessing. And because you've been chosen, set apart as holy and beloved, you are also changed. He doesn't just leave you where you're at. He changes you. He takes those old clothes, he, puts, he takes them off, and he puts on these new garments that he gives to you. And then he also charges us to forgive others as he has forgiven us. I pray that as we, we kind of get into Easter week coming on, as we get ready for Resurrection Sunday next week, and I'm so excited uh, to, be, to, to be joining you all now, I pray that we te- take, take time this week just thanking God for choosing us, for forgiving us, for changing us, and for loving us. If you're not a believer, you're listening to this, and you're like, man, you know, I may still be an enemy of God. I'd love to talk with you about that and what it means to put your trust in God. If you're somebody, man, I've been, really been struggling with unforgiveness. Somebody did something horrible to me, and you don't understand. It was bad, and I'm having a really hard time working through this. I'd love to sit down and talk to you about that, too, because it's such a, a big thing. We don't want to let that bitterness, that root of bitterness, get into our hearts. It really it chokes us out. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your love. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, Lord. As we prepare for Easter week, getting ready for Resurrection Sunday next, next week, may you be with us, Lord. We're so excited to have this Monday Thursday service on Thursday at 6.30. Please help us to, to come prepared for that. Just a short time that we get to uh, remember the Lord's Supper, that you instituted communion or the Lord's Supper and, and a foot washing. And I know it's just an intimate time just to remember what you did for your disciples and what you did for us, Lord. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, Bring us back next week and help us to celebrate the resurrection. Uh, We're so excited uh, to be able to do that. Thank you that we have the resurrection to celebrate, that we have hope, that we have hope for eternal life. We praise you, thank you, and love you. Amen.